get my headset on and get all dressed and ready for the sermon today. Um, I got this crazy long hair now, and so it takes a minute to get the headset on and everything, and I got to fix my hair and throw it out of my face. So if you see me doing this a lot, it's because of my hair. I didn't wear my headband either. I know you guys enjoyed my headband when I wore it. <laughs> so welcome to Gospel Community Church this morning. I'm glad to have all of you here. My hope is that through gathering today, you might know Jesus, grow in Jesus, and go share the hope found in Jesus. And as I was Getting ready for today's sermon as we were praying for today, I was just thinking about like this time of year. It's crazy busy. We had dance recital. We had a communion yesterday, and then we went back to the dance recital to watch other family members. Uh, we got baseball going on. People got soccer going on. There's just a lot going on. It's the end of the school year. It's that time. I wish Liz was here because it's at, you know the end of the school year, and she's probably like thankful and excited that school is going to be over. And meanwhile, like parents like me and my wife are like, oh, crap, what are we going to do with our kids all summer long? So we're, you know, we're gearing up for summer. We got wave pool passes and all that fun stuff. And then, uh, you know, I don't know what, uh, how, you, how, how the people that do homeschooling uh, do that, but I'm like, man, what am I going to do with my kids? What's my wife? She's, she, I'm, I'm worried for her. No. <laughs> but she's got a lot of things planned. Um, but I'm glad you guys are all here. Uh, as I preach this morning, my, my hope is that like through the message, um, it just it, it's it inspires you, it informs you, and you feel mo- motivated to go out and share the gospel with others and make disciples of others. Because it isn't really the sermon that makes disciples; it's disciples that make disciples. So that's kind of what I'm trying to convey today: is that you know we're all along in this ride, and we're disciples making disciples. So here we are. We're in Acts. We're still in. Yet here we are, and we've been. Going through this since January, is anybody tired of hearing about Acts yet and wondering how we got to here, where we are today? Good. I just need some, uh, Jessica says yes, no. <laughs> no, but we're in the book of Acts. I think this is week 17. I can't remember. I looked at the sheet, but yeah. So we've been going through the book of Acts, learning how we got to where we are and how the gospel just expanded and the church expanded and get to where we are today. So why Matthew 13? 44 through 46, this, this parable of the treasure that Jesus tells. And I feel like as I was reading, and we're gonna, I'm going to recap a little bit of what's been going on in the book of Acts. Pastor Tony, uh, he did chapter 20 last week. And what I loved about that is, is we got to see how Paul was making disciples. We got to see this image of what he's doing to share the love of Christ with others. And as he's going from city to city and town to town, he's like, yeah, hey, you're a believer, come on. Let's, let's go tell people. You, you two, let's go. Come on, we're going. Steve, let's go. We're going to go tell people about who Jesus is. And so he's just grabbing everybody he can, and he's going from city to city, town to town, staying with these guys. Hey, guys, do you mind if I stay with you for a while? We're going to share the gospel together. So he's going from town to town sharing the gospel and spreading the good news of Christ. And in chapter 20, he's in Greece, and he was there with all his, you know, those people that are going along with him. And we find here in chapter 20, this is actually where I love uh, my, my uh, I got this big, neat study Bible that my family bought me one year for Christmas. And it puts in where the, uh, like throughout the epistles, where each letter to each city was written at. So this is where we see that Paul penned the book of Romans, where he wrote the letter to the Romans. And the church in Rome, it was actually started, I thought this was interesting as I was studying, it was actually started by Jewish believers that were saved at the day of Pentecost. Paul hadn't actually been to Rome yet to start a church or establish a church. It was people that were there, they got saved at the day of Pentecost, and they went on and shared the gospel with others, and there was a church that was established there. And Paul so badly wanted to be there with them, visit them, and minister to them. 
So this is where the book of Romans is, is written at. And uh, as we see here, he's in Greece, and he's getting ready to set sail for Jerusalem. And in uh, Acts 20, 20 through, 22 through 24, uh, I don't have it up on the board. If you want to open up and follow along, you can. Um, Acts 20, 22 through 24. And it's nothing like real big. It says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Did you guys catch that last part? Does it sound like it's going to be fun? Maybe I do want you to open your Bibles to that, Acts 20, 22 through 24. Highlight it, that, you know, Paul is here saying, like, he knows what lies before him. He knows the Holy Spirit has come to him and showed him, like, hey, it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be an easy ride. And yet he still goes. He still goes. And, and I like to always put my, you know, share with you guys at one time, I like to put myself in his shoes, in the people's shoes of the, of the, you know, what I'm reading about. And I think about what I would be like. And I think about what, you know, things that God's called me to and how scared I am and how fearful I am. And then I start grasping for control of things and I want to do this and I'm going to do that. And I think about all those things. But Paul was just in tune with the Holy Spirit. He didn't even bat an eye. And he goes and he, he says goodbye to the Ephesian elders. And this is later on. It says, when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they had accompanied him to the ship. He didn't even bat an eye. And he goes and he says bye to the Ephesian elders, and everybody's there, and they're weeping and they're crying, and, and Everybody's just sad that he's leaving because they know they're not going to see him again. So now we get into chapter 21, and Paul sets sail. He leaves. He's out of there. And he arrives in the city of Tyre. And there he stays with some believers. And while he's there, the Holy Spirit comes to the believers there and prophesies, to, to, you know, tells them what's going to happen. And here Paul again is warned about what's going to happen. And they're, they're prophesying to Paul like bad things are going to happen to you. Don't go. Please don't go. And they're, they're scared for him. They saw what Paul already knew. Because Saul had, had been in the, you know, residing in the Holy Spirit. And, and Paul had already seen this. And again, he doesn't bat an eye at it. And he leaves. And there, from there he leaves to Caesarea and he stays with Philip. Y'all remember Philip the evangelist, you know, earlier on in Acts and Philip. And this is the same Philip. Now he has four daughters and they're all gifted in prophecy. And he's raised his kids up to know who Jesus is and who the Savior is. So he stays there with Philip. And then he sets off and he finally makes it and arrives in Jerusalem where he was headed off to go. Where, where the Holy Spirit told him to go, where he knew he had to go, where he knew that fun things were going to happen. And it starts off pretty good. And he starts talking about all that God has done. All, all that God has, how God has saved all these Gentiles. And it starts off good. And they're praising God. And then all of a sudden, get this mob that comes in. And they stir things up. And, and they, they grab Paul and they arrest him. And they try to kill him. And the commander of, an, of a Roman army sees what's going on. And he steps in. He steps in to stop this, and it says he believes he was just, there was some 
it says an Egyptian that was causing kind of like strife. And this is who the Roman soldier thought it was. So he stepped in so that he could be tried. But it turns out it was Paul. Well, what happens is in chapter 22, Paul makes his, his uh, man, what's the word I'm looking for? Appeal to the Roman soldier. And he, said, he starts speaking Greek. He's a Roman citizen. And so when he speaks Greek to this guy and, and he, it catches the Roman uh, soldier's attention, and this allowed, it gave Paul protection. From there on, the Roman soldier provided protection and allowed Paul to speak. And here he shares his story. What happened on the road to Damascus, how he came to know Christ, that everybody was, he was blinded. Nobody could see but this, this bright light that he could see, that it was Jesus, how Ananias was there. He began to share this whole story. And people are all like taking it in, soaking it in. They're loving it. Yeah, this is, a, this is a good God. I like this God. And then Paul says something that absolutely stirs the crowd up and makes them go crazy. So he tells them he was going to be sent to the Gentiles. That he's being sent to the Gentiles. And in chapter 22, it says, Up to this word they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. So here we are, here they are, supposed to be God's holy, righteous people set apart to be a light to the, uh, the world around them. And this like, immediately exposes their pride. Immediately exposes their pride, because when he says the message is for the Gentiles, they're like, ah, uh, nope, we should kill this man. I don't like it. And it's just amazing to see what Paul does and how God uses Paul in these times of persecution. Because Paul, being filled with the Holy Spirit, uses these times of persecution as opportunities to witness. His enemies were the ones creating the platform for him. He was sensitive to where the Holy Spirit was leading him. So if we continue on in chapter 22, Ananias, he's the, the like chief Pharisee. I can't think of the word. Anyways, he's, he's the Pharisee there and he breaks the law. He assumes Paul is guilty and he orders punishment without trial and Paul calls him out on it. And it didn't go over so well. Um, everybody jumped on Paul right away, and he says, I'm sorry, I didn't know this was your guy. Uh, I didn't mean to, no disrespect. But what happens in that moment is Paul also sees that there is a, uh, like, two sides here. There's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he sees that the council is split between the Sadducees and the Pharisees, these two groups of men. And when he sees this, I got to got to hear on my paper. It says, when he had s said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. So he sees this. And I, I thought of, uh, you know, in Mark 
chapter 13, verse 11, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand where you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And like this whole time, Paul is so in tune with the Holy Spirit, not afraid to go, just not even, it doesn't even seem like he bats an eye at anything. And in this moment, the Holy Spirit reveals to him like, hey, there's two people here. Watch what happens. And so he, he says that little comment, and, and it, they, they begin to argue amongst, them, amongst themselves. And they actually, the commander of the army, they start arguing so much that the commander of the army fears that Paul's literally going to be like torn apart because they're, they're so upset. And they're arguing with each other and what to do. And this brings us to where we are in our uh, sermon series, Acts chapter 23. 23, 11 through 22. So after all this happens, I completely forgot <laughs> to put the verses on my uh, thing here. I'm going to have to read them off here. Okay. You don't have 11? No, not bad. So Acts 23, 11 through 22. Let me pull it up on my phone. Okay. So he takes him back, uh, the soldier takes him back into the barracks, gets him away from everybody. And verse 11 starts off like this. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till you have killed Paul, till we have killed Paul. Now therefore you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly and we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring you this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council as though they are going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for, there are, for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. This is God's word. And I just love, you know, these guys are so upset. In the, in the book of Acts, it often talks about the way, expanding the way or belonging to the way. They're so upset about the way that they vow to not eat anything or drink anything till that Paul is like crushed, that he's the one that's going and expanding the way. And so they take it serious and they take it into their own hands and they're going to try and kill Paul.
And I think about God's sovereignty here. God's sovereignty here. And, and in the turmoil of this craziness that seems to be going on in Paul's life, he just seems to be able to rest in God's sovereignty. And I, I, I speak like from experience, like just imagine what that feels like. I grasp for control of things all the time, but when I sit back and I rest in God's sovereignty, it's like, oh, this feels nice. This is good. This is just a conversation that me and Tony and Chris had this morning. We get together every Sunday morning and we study God's word and we're walking Chris through what it means to be a, a biblical elder, a biblical pastor. And this kind of got brought up like that I have control issues and I want to take control. And, and then I get, you know, my wife knows this about me. I, I struggle with being steadfast. I'm, I'm over here and then the pendulum swings this way and I'm gonna let go of control and I'm gonna let God handle it all. But then I get clear over here, off in left field and I get lazy and then I'm like, oh man, I need to get back over here. And I take it clear back the other way and I just seem to be swinging back and forth. But man, when it, those moments and God, I'm thankful that he just continues to work on me daily. Those moments when I come into his presence and I'm just able to rest in his sovereignty. It feels good. And so now I think about what Paul, like Paul resting in God's sovereignty in the midst of all this craziness going on. And so I want to co cover some unsung, unsung heroes in the book of Acts. Some people that maybe we haven't necessarily talked about going through the book of Acts in this series, but some unsung heroes as, as you read through the book of Acts. So in Acts chapter 3, 9 through 12, we have a crippled man here, and he is healed. And when he's healed, the crowds gather around him, and immediately God gives Peter the opportunity to share the gospel. So this crippled man being healed is our unsung hero, where he's kind of the, the uh, what's the, what's it called when the, the supporting actor. He's getting that supporting actor role, but he plays a huge part in the crowd gathering and Peter being able to share the gospel. In Acts chapter 6, 2 through 6, when we learn about Philip and Stephen and the other deacons that are there to take care of the tables and all that that's going on, we hear about Philip and Stephen, but what about the five other deacons that were there sharing the load? Kind of the unsung heroes, that it wasn't Philip and Stephen doing all the work. There were five other men there alongside them sharing the load so that the, so that the, the apostles could... Focus on preaching and teaching the gospel. Acts chapter 9, 10 through 19. This is right after Paul uh, has his experience on the road to Damascus. When Jesus comes, stops him, makes him blind, he goes to the city. And here we have Ananias. We don't really hear about, uh, much about Ananias, but he's the one that demonstrated faithfulness to God. Trusting that like he's walking in to, to this building where this guy that's known to kill Christians and God says, like, no, go, it's safe, it's okay. And he has this faithfulness to God, trusting to what God says and shows love to Saul and Saul's sight is restored. He becomes Paul and he goes on planting churches all throughout the, the countryside. In Acts chapter 10, 30 through 35, we have Cornelius, a Roman soldier. He, he's kind of the character. That, he's the one that shows that the gospel is for everyone. 
His story is the, the story that says, hey, this gospel isn't just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles alike, and that's where we have Cornelius. Acts chapter 16, 13 through 15, we have uh, the story of Lydia. We talked briefly about her. I remember talking briefly about her. She opened her home to Paul, making it possible for him to have a place to stay, stay in Philippi and share the gospel in Philippi. And then Acts chapter 17, uh, 5 through 9. If you'll open your Bibles there, um, I'm going to have you read along this one with me. Acts 17, 5 through 9. Every time I take a drink of coffee, my coffee cup whistles. I'm like, I wonder if they can hear that on there. (laughs) That's just how my brain works. I get distracted easily. (laughs) Acts 17, 5 through 9. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed, and when they heard these things, when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason, and the rest, they let them go. So the story of Jason, he's like housing these guys, and the city gets all upset, and, and uh, uh, he risks it all. He doesn't care. He lets them stay with him. It sounds like they come in and like ransack his house like you see in the movies when they're tearing the drawers open and throwing the clothes out everywhere, flipping mattresses over, breaking holes in the wall. Like that's what I picture going on here. The mob comes in like, where is everybody? Ah!" Going all crazy. And so Jason risked it all. One of our unsung heroes. And then there's just this, in this Acts 23, 16 through 24, we see Paul's nephew. We don't know how how old he is. We don't know if it's a grown man. We don't know if it's a little child, a teenager. It doesn't really say. We just know that it's Paul's nephew. And then he had the wits about him as he's there and he, he hears like, for me, because I tell you all the time, I got a cartoony brain. I picture like uh, maybe like Aladdin or something when they're hiding in one of those big jars or baskets and he's like hearing stuff that's going on. Oh crap, I gotta go tell Paul. So, he, so I picture a little kid in this. But he... Uh, Paul's nephew hears it all going on and he runs and tells Paul and just how God sets all the pieces in place along the way. That God God has all these pieces, all these unsung heroes, all these little things that are happening and taking place all along the way and that's why Paul could rest in God's sovereignty. You don't think he'd heard the stories of, of just all these things happening and reflecting on and as, he, as, as his nephew comes to him and tells him, like, uh, they're going to kill you. It doesn't say he panicked or tried to grasp for control or tried to escape or do any of that. He sat there and was like, you should go tell those guys about it. I'm cool. I know what's going on. And, and in verse 11, we, we know exactly, like, why he knows that nothing's going to happen to him. Jesus came to him and says, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. 
just sat back and was like, they ain't gonna kill me. I know I'm going on to Rome. Jesus already told me. So he just sits back. And so I thought about, as we're, we're talking about this, and I kind of covered a little bit, but how do we rest in God's sovereignty? How can we have that? What is sovereignty? I had to look at, and you know, this is for me, I remember a long time ago hearing words like sovereignty and, and um, fellowship and just a lot of these churchy words. And I'm, I thought, man, there's people in here that might have that same feeling that I did years ago. And it's, it's a word that you'll probably hear often as a follower of Jesus. You've probably heard it plenty being here. I talk about God's sovereignty, um, but maybe you're not quite sure what sovereignty means. It means God is the supreme ruler over everything. He's not helpless. He's never at a loss. And he's never surprised by anything. I got my political hands here. Let me tell you guys something. <laughs> he is never surprised by anything. And in Christ... God's awesome sovereignty is where we feel the most reverent, the most secure, and the most free. In Christ. So now I'm going to take us back to the treasure that we talked about a little earlier. Mark 13, 44 through 46. If you pull that up. What does this have to do with God's sovereignty and this story of Paul and the book of Acts and where we're at? And I'm going to read it over again and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Oh man, let me look on my paper. S-O-V-E-R-E-I-G-N-T-Y. Yep. So Mark 13, 44 through 46 the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who one, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Paul knew what he had. Paul knew what was in his possession. He knew that treasure, what it was, what it felt like, how, how, how it moved him. He knew that it was more valuable than anything he could ever dream of possessing. And he quite literally was willing to give up his life for it. He knew what he had. And I think about the man, the parable of the man in the field. And it's almost like he stumbled upon it. Almost he just kind of came on from our view that he came upon it by accident. And as soon as he found it, as soon as it was there, he knew exactly what he had. And in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the whole field. I think about, you know, this, this to me almost, uh, as I was looking at it, reflects what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. Maybe in our view, it looks like it was an accident 
that he come into this relationship with Jesus. He found that treasure. That treasure just happened upon him on the road to Damascus. He had no intention of going and seeking and finding Jesus. Jesus came to him on that road to Damascus and revealed himself to him. And Paul was blind for three days and he saw still in his blindness that there was nothing more precious than the treasure that he found. I think that's why he could rest in God's sovereignty. I think that's why he knew he was going on to Rome. I think that's why he could do what he did. I think that's why that he trusted so much those words that Jesus said, take courage for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome. That treasure he had was so precious to him and when Jesus spoke those words, he knew. He knew what was gonna happen. He knew the, the, the things that he was gonna face and he was ready to just keep going. He had that treasure. He held on to it, resting in God's sovereignty, knowing that Jerusalem wasn't going to be the last stop for him. I forgot to write my Bible reference here, but this is from the, the message version. And uh, it says, are you tired? This is, these are the words of Jesus. And the message version, if you don't know, is kind of like a paraphrase and it's worded differently than the ESV uh, Bible. And I like the way that it put this, so I decided to share it with you guys. And these are Jesus' words. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay heavy, anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus is where and how we rest in God's sovereignty. These verses here, and I liked how the, 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 uh, the message version put this and it just really spoke to me. Get away with me. And then I come back to Paul as he's going from city to city, town to town, and he's grabbing people and they're going and they're marching. They're going forth and he's staying with people in their houses and they're watching him how he does it. And, and we learn these unforced rhythms of grace as, it, as they put it. And as a church, like I said earlier, that you know maybe the sermon isn't what makes disciples, but I think it's these unforced rhythms of grace of getting into each other's lives and living life together. That's how people become disciples. That's how we show the world who Jesus is. That we be that city on the hill and, and that we would uh, just grasp onto the hope that is found in Jesus and that, that he, we know that he will not put anything heavy or ill-fitting and, and we will just march forth, preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel. Paul trusted Jesus with his life. My hope and prayer is that you will do the same and that you will get into each other's uh, just rhythms of grace and just lives and live these lives worthy of sharing the gospel. Because the work that was done on the cross means everything. Because he came, he left his grave, he came into our lives and it was our sin that put him there. 
He left it all behind to came and he came and lived this perfect life to be betrayed. Betrayed to the point of death and hanging on the cross and he died and then he was buried and three days he rose. And that's the message of the gospel that we go out and share. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your amazing grace, God. I thank you for this body of believers that are here today, God, because they know who you are, God, that they trust in you, that they love you, God. And I pray, God, that as your word said, God, these, these unforced rhythms of grace, that people would enter into each other's lives, God, to show the world who you are because it's all about you, that we would be able to rest in your sovereignty and trust what you're doing, God. Trust what you're doing in us and through us and that people would come to know who you are, God. And I say these things in Jesus' name, amen.